Amen. Ooh, that's loud. <laughs> but when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was calling with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. I'm reading slow, y'all, because the glare is on this phone. <laughs> and the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgression. Transgression. For though the, the Jew, I died to the Jews so that I might be like God, live like God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, hey, let's pray. Thank you, Shirley. Father, thank you uh, that we, got to, we get to come together this morning and to uh, unite as a church and to uh, see one another in person and, and share the love of Christ even by singing songs and singing into others' hearts and souls that are uh, a parking spot right next to us. And so, Lord, would you bless the, the preaching of your word so that we, as we hear your word, we would understand what you want to say to us, not just what Slim has to say. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you are new, my name is Slim. I'm a pastor here at Mosaic, and we are glad you're here. This is amazing that this is your first time to our church in a parking lot. And we hope this isn't how our church is always going to meet, but it is how it is going to meet for the rest of this fall. Um, well, we are, we are continuing our series uh, going through, we call it DNA, the core of the local church. Uh, and so we're trying to get to the, to the heartbeat of who Mosaic is and you know what we feel called to do. And as we talk about our values and our mission, we want you to consider and ask yourself, are these things that I value as well? Uh, are these things that I care about and I feel called to do as well? And if so, then I think we have uh, a, a God fit. We have a, a kind of a God alignment. Um, and so we've, we've already covered our, our, our three values, uh, to be gospel-centered, to be uh, <laughs> multicultural, and to be spirit-led. And then we, last week we looked at, we began looking at our mission. So we adore Christ, apply the gospel, and act with mercy and justice. And so today we are looking at what it is to apply the gospel. But to do that, we have to know what is the gospel. <laughs> so one, what is the gospel? Two, um, what are its implications? And then three, then how can we apply it? And so that's kind of how we're going to go is, you know, what is it? What are its implications? And how then can we apply it? 
So what is the gospel? Well, literally, and hopefully by now, if you've uh, been around at least Mosaic for a while, you can say that the gospel is literally, it is good news, right? It is a proclamation of good news, right? There's a new king, and you get amnesty. <laughs> You're free, right? It's good news, but it's only good news in context. So it's part of the gospel, just part of it, is I am a sinner, and that's not really good news, but it's I'm a sinner, and then the whole of the gospel is I'm a sinner saved by grace. It, it is, is both of these things. It's like two sides of the same coin um, of your gospel coin here. You know, that part of the gospel is there is darkness inside each and every single one of us that is far deeper and far more destructive than we ever, you know, can think. But on the second side, the second part of that is that we are far more loved and cherished and justified than we would ever venture to believe. I mean, it's, it's crazy, but it's both of these things. And so it's an announcement. It is an announcement that despite what we do and what we bring to the table, Christ saves us. He justifies us or, or makes us, declares us worthy. Oh, what a beautiful thing that is. And so if, if we all today, if all we do today is just distinguish, as Malcolm talked about earlier, if we, all we do today is just distinguish between justification and sanctification, I think that's a pretty good day for us today. If, if we can just figure that one out, I think that's helpful because I think there are some out here that, that insist on conflating and confu confusing and confounding and ignoring the distinctions between these two things. Justification is an act of God. It is done, right? It is what Christ has done for you. It's a one-time event. Hallelujah. It's not repeatable. It is complete. You have nothing more to do to earn your status before the Lord. The relationship has been secured. It's locked in. And we, we love and we champion this. That's justification. On the other side, you have sanctification. And sanctification is a work of God. So one is, a, so one is an act of God. It's done. Another is a work of God. It, it's a process of being made holy. It's, it's the ultimate to-be-continued episode, right? It's a work of God to remake us in the image of God. And it, it's making us more and more like Jesus. And because it's a work, it's an ongoing process, you and I, on this side of heaven, will never be fully complete, We'll never be fully there. Like, we will never arrive at our destination. We will always struggle. We should expect that. We will always fall, but we can still make steps to die to sin and live to righteousness. And so justification is what Christ has done for you, and sanctification is what he is doing in you. You'll be able to distinguish these things. Both are necessary and good, and we can't ignore sanctification even though we are gospel-centered. Growth and change needs to happen. Like, I'm, I'm sure every single one of us at one point in our lives will say, like, I don't want to be this way anymore. I want to change. I don't want to be addicted to this. Like, I want freedom. I want liberation from this sin. And that's what sanctification is giving us the, the hope for here. And the way that we say it here at Mosaic is that God loves you just the way that you are. Full stop. Like, you have nothing to do to earn God's love. And that's a beautiful thing. And we say, so God loves you just the way that you are, but God loves you too much to leave you the way that you are. He wants to bring you along, and so we should expect change and to grow and not to be stuck in our ways. And so in our passage here today, in verse 16, it says, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, 
but through faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul is trying to hammer home that you're not justified. You're not made right. You're not made acceptable to God by anything that you do. He says it again, by works of the law, no one will be justified. So any works of the law, any of them, whether that's never cussing again, whether that's raising the perfect children, whether that's getting a hundred on your church attendance record, uh, none of these things will save us. Let's be clear on that. There is nothing we do that will earn our God's love and that will make him love us more than he already does. Hallelujah. Amen. Okay. Yeah, you can amen with your horns. Thank you. What this means, what this means, the implications of this is this, that the gospel is not only for certain people who have their act together. It's not only for those who work the hardest, who keep the laws, who dress like us, who show up on time, who abstain from this or abstain from that. It, it, it completely eliminates any superiority complex that we might have. If God loves me because of what I did for him, well, then today, I, I, or in, in, in our today's example, if God loves me because of my ethnic status, then I have the reason to think I'm better than you. But if it's only by the grace of God that any are saved, then what Peter is doing in this passage is completely atrocious. And, and in the words of the great modern-day theologian Mugatu, who cares about Derek Zoolander anyway? The man has only one look. I mean, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills here. Blue Steel, Ferrari, La Tigra? It's the same face! Doesn't anybody notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. We got one clap. <laughs> Sorry about that. I think we're all like Mugatu at this moment. Aren't we all taking crazy pills? Like, no one's going to say anything to Peter? I mean, that's the position Paul finds himself in at this moment. He finds himself in this Galatians account as he's looking to apply the gospel. And he's like, no one's going to stand up to Peter for what he's doing? Are you kidding? Peter, how can you think that you're superior to anybody? Like, given your track record, Peter, I don't know how you're thinking this. And so like, here's the scene, just to remind us. Paul confronts Peter while they're in Antioch. Peter is a Jew, and he's eating with Gentiles. Now, remember from our Acts study, if you were with us during that, Peter had a hard time making that adjustment of accepting that certain foods were now acceptable and okay to eat. Like, like bacon. We all love bacon, some of us. The Jewish nation, though, was, was, was to be set apart, and one way to distinguish them from other nations were these purity laws, and so that they can't eat certain meats, they can't touch dead bodies, and they can't eat with the Gentiles. That's not an exhaustive list. That's just some of the things. But when Jesus left, and he left behind the Holy Spirit for us, he's now inviting all nations into his multicultural Rosetta Stone kingdom, and after, but after centuries of training you that you can't do certain things, it, it would be hard to accept that this code that was created to help us point us to Christ is no longer there in some aspects. And so Jesus made this all clear to Peter, though, and said, don't call unclean what I've made clean. He's telling Peter, take and eat. He, there's this, this great scene. So Peter knows the truth. Peter knows that it's, it's not okay for him to, to put this, ball, this wall or barrier between him and these Gentiles. In fact, Peter is now eating eggs and bacon with the Gentiles in verse 12. For before certain men came from James and he was eating, 
I assume eggs and bacon, with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And so Peter, out of fear, out of fear of people, fear of man, fear of a group of people, pulls himself away and says, I don't want to identify with them. I mean, this isn't Peter who's, you know, at the nerd table and the cool kids walk in and he goes to the cool table. You know, like, that, that's not what's happening here. It, though that's oppressive and, and terrible, it's actually much, much worse. In one setting, Peter condemns racism, and he would say ethnic lives matter. He speaks out against racism, upholds the dignity of every human being, but then in another setting, he cowers under the pressure of the leaders around him. And so he's nervous about giving up his seat at the table, and he sets the precedent for all those around him who also pull back from this table with the Gentiles. And, and what that does is it communicates that they cannot eat with the dogs like them that they were the superior race, and for them, that was the Jew. And so what does Paul do in verse 11? When Cephas, or Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Condemned. I mean, that's like such a harsh word, but because what he did was wrong, that Peter is guilty, deserving of condemnation. Why? Paul says in verse 14, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. Paul doesn't say, hey man, this wasn't a good look. You know, you're, you're a leader. Can't be doing these types of things. No, he's, he, he applies the gospel to this man at this very moment. How can you have a superior attitude in regards to race when you know that you are a sinner saved by grace? How? How does that make sense? This is everything right here. Paul sees the truth of what's going on right here. Peter was not walking in step with the truth of the gospel. He wasn't living out the implications of the gospel. If the gospel is real, that I'm a sinner saved by grace and grace alone, then how do I find myself superior to anyone? So what Paul does here with Peter is he is applying the gospel to his, to his friend. Notice he doesn't say, you're racist, though he could have. No, he told him how hypocritical he was. That's not, how, that's not who you really are, Peter. You're doing this out of fear. You're putting on a mask as a hypocrite, acting like your old self, just to appease this other group, to not lose your social standing. And Paul says, no, Peter, you're not walking in line with the truth of the gospel. He reminds him that there are no gradations in God's economy <laughs> that, that there, you, you don't have anything to boast about except your sin that deserved Jesus to die. Like that's all that you brought to the table was the sin that made Jesus die for you. And so then Paul says, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to live like Jews? He's trying to say, I invented the piano key necktie. I invented it. What's happening here, Peter? What is going on? You can't actively love God and demean mankind. God loves you just the way that you are, but he's not going to leave you that way. He will not leave you that way. He's going to change you by applying the gospel so that you won't be a racist, so that you won't cheat on your taxes, so that you will actually care for your community. And it's by saying how loved and seeing how loved that you are that you, we actually do change. I feel like our, our life is like, like an acoustic guitar. If you guys ain't playing instruments out there, um, but I have an acoustic guitar that hangs in my office and it just sits there. It's a beautiful guitar. It just sits there, though. 
And, and sometimes my strings get a little slack because it just sits there. No one plays it. It just, you know, apathy and, and no one do anything. It just, it just loses its tightness. And so the strings are loose. They don't vibrate. They don't make a good sound. And so then I got to tighten them to, to put them in tune. And sometimes I tighten them too tight and now they're out of tune. Sometimes I tighten them way too tight and the string pops. There is a line that goes out from the gospel to your life that is in tune with the gospel. That if you, if you let your life drift, you'll drift towards complacency and out of tune. And you might say, what does it matter? God will forgive me anyways. That's out of tune with the gospel. But if you tighten it too much and you become unbearable to live with, everything has to be perfect. If you didn't do things exactly the way I expect you to do them, then you're an idiot and you're unfit to live a good life. That is also out of tune with the gospel. There is a key, there's a spot in there that is in tune, that isn't too tightly tuned, that isn't too loosely tuned. The, the early church father and African priest, Tertullian, said, just as Christ was crucified between two thieves, so this doctrine of justification is ever crucified between two opposite errors. Tertullian meant that there were two basic false ways of thinking that, that, that steals the power and the distinctiveness of the gospel. And it pulls us offline of the gospel from one side to the other. And these thieves can be called relativism, and they can also be called legalism, on the other hand. Like, everybody everywhere tends to one end of this spectrum. We do, churches do, businesses do. We, relativism, you know, everyone decide what's right for them. You know, there's, there's no right or wrong. Just, just figure it out. And then legalism, you know, like, if I do everything perfectly, everything will always work out. And I've controlled my way all the way to heaven, and God will have to let me in. So one says it's all relative, there's no moral absolutes. The other says there's only one right to, way to do things, and I know that right way. These are the two thieves that we need to see that how we are not walking in step with the truth of the gospel. What, which area do you feel like you lean towards? Ask yourself, do you find yourself feeling maybe superior to others, like Peter? Then you're out of tune with the gospel. Do you find yourself fearing, feeling inferior to others? You're out of tune with the gospel. Christ loves you too much to feel that way. Or on the other side, if, if you find yourself that saying, like, there's no real way to know any of these things are true. It's hard to really figure out absolute truth. I think you are out of tune with the gospel. So we have to bring all of our practices in life all in tune with the gospel. Is your work, your career in line with the gospel? Is the way that you spend your money in line with the gospel? Is your sexuality in line with the gospel? Is the way that we speak about our coworkers, our boss, in line with the gospel? And how do we know? How do we know if we're out of step, if we're in tune or out of tune? Well, like my guitar, I didn't know it was out of tune until I played it. Until I heard the horrible sounds coming from it going, brah. We don't know that we are out of tune unless we have opportunities for someone to hear that. Likewise, if you are not in community, you don't know if you're out of tune. That's why the monks in the monasteries seemed really spiritual because no one tested their patience. No one, no one, no one gave them an opportunity for them to lose their, their cool, right? And so for Mosaic, it, we, 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 we want to tell you, adore Christ in worship and apply the gospel in small groups. We want to give you avenues and a direction and a location to work this stuff out. And small groups are this perfect place to apply the gospel because you're in community. I mean, this is where discipleship happens, which is just, discipleship is just mentoring, you know, someone in their faith. 
It's not just any community. It's a community that's centered around the Bible. And the Bible is this one book that you don't just read. It, it reads you as you read it. It challenges you. It, it confronts you. It comforts you. And it's in these types of communities with one another that we're able to see part of me that I don't see. I mean, if I have a blind spot, by definition, I don't see it, right? And I need you, I need someone else to say, Slim, I don't know if you saw this, or you're not walking in step with the, the truth of the gospel. But here's the wonderful thing about community and discipleship. Christian discipleship never ends. Remember, Peter was like the pillar of the church. He was like the apostle. We think Peter should be correcting Paul. Paul is kind of a newbie in this regard. But it's not always that way. It's not always the, the master correcting the apprentice. Sometimes the younger generation has to correct the older. We all, me included, your pastors included, like we need to grow. We need you to, to, to bring us out, to, to, to say this is what I see in you. We never stop growing. Peter's life is an example of this. He's constantly missing the mark. Remember, he's, he says, I will never disown you, Jesus. Okay, <laughs> right? One thing is clear from Scripture. In the Christian faith, we don't hide the sins of our heroes. I mean, it's very open and honest talking about them. And when we do look at other sins, when we do see someone's sins, we don't write them off either. And so on one hand, we all take the law very seriously. I can't violate the law. I can't commit adultery because I see what it cost God. It, cost, it killed him, his son. I can't take that lightly. On the other hand, it's, it, it says that by works of the law, no one will be justified. And so when we do fail, we don't hate ourselves. When we see someone else fail, we don't shun them. We don't cast them out. We're not harsh with them. And this is that, that, that hard balance to keep in tension. Because remember, just as we struggle between those two thieves of legalists and relativists, so when others sin around us, do we lean in one direction or the other? We either, we, we, we either just say, oh, it's fine, or, or we shun them. And so which direction do you lean in that regard as well? There's times when we should say, we're serious. You can't lie. You can't sleep around. You can't demean others' dignity. You can't gossip. We need to take it seriously. Let's not shrug at sin. And yet when we do see someone fail, we're merciful and we don't cast them out. Unbelievably, charitably, caring for one another in their failure. How? Because we are applying the gospel. Because that's how Christ treated us. I can't treat you any differently. Go back to the gospel, apply it, tune our lives to it. And for any growth that's ever happened in our lives, if you look at yourself, it doesn't come about by beating yourself up. You don't get over greed by saying, just stop being greedy. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> but you stop being greedy by looking at the generosity of Christ for you and saying, he gave that much for me. <laughs> I can give it all away. You don't get over your hatred for someone by just saying, don't hate them. I know it's wrong to hate. Stop hating. No, we apply the gospel and we see the love of Christ for people who hated him. Or if I'm feeling the need to justify myself, maybe someone's saying something bad about you behind your back and you, you have to apply the gospel. Remember, Jesus defends my name before the Father perfectly. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased Y'all, that's not passive work. That takes a lot of work to apply the gospel. It takes a lot of work to not 
to not just jump in and just and fix everything with our you know, with the way we want to control it and fix it, or, or to not just give up and say, we're done. It takes a lot of work to kind of find that in-tune spot here. Now, it doesn't mean that we're, we're, this work justifies us. No, we're not finding our identity in our works. We're saying work to stop finding your identity in these things. It's through applying the gospel, just like Paul does to Peter, that we are moved to speak up, that we are moved to say something, to be dared to move out of our spiritual slumber. It compels us to be killing sin wherever we find it. And so the gospel is the answer to everything. Everything has to be brought in line with the gospel. So look at your life today. Where, where are you out of tune? Look at what Jesus has done for you. Are you in a community like small groups? Or are you, are you in a community with other places where God is using fellow believers to apply the gospel to you? Move into those spaces have conversations without fear because God loves you just the way that you are. But he loves you too much to leave you the way that you are. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.